Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. Today's episode is for people who have recently become parents or who are expecting parents or who are curious about becoming parents. As an expectant parent myself, I must say it has been overwhelming hearing about the difficulties. There are so many things to fear. Will my body come back? Will my relationship remain fun? Will life be fun? Will I be a good mom? To talk to me today about this is kick-ass editor and writer and CEO of Ali Anderson Editorial. I am delighted to have Ali on the show. Well, hello. Warm welcome to you, Ali Anderson. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. All the better for having you here. It's a great day when we get to talk to each other. Oh my God, totally. So just for our listeners, could we start by talking a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So I am a writer and editor. I currently work through my own company called Ali Anderson Editorial. I launched that as a side project in 2012 when I was working for a company called Thomas Nelson Publishers. And as the publishing industry started to kind of shift and change, I just decided it would be good to get my own business rolling. I officially started working full time with my company in July of this year after shutting down a content development and marketing company that I owned with a colleague. Most importantly, I'm a wife and mom, which is part of the reason I shut down that other business. It was just a little much with the kids and everything and my focus, I felt really needed to be on my family and on my work. So this gave me kind of a better balance. Um, My kids are one in three. My life is filled with beautiful, wild energy. And I just absolutely love it. And you live it. (laughs) I live it. It is that I live it. And you know, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't moments where I'm, you know, crazed and there's like Cheerios in my hair and like, the dog has eaten six bananas, but it's wonderful. Like even still, it's wonderful. So can I start off by asking you if the title of the show resonates with you in any way? Absolutely. You know, your ego is so tricky. um, And it's something my husband and I have been working on together just to kind of keep it at bay. Because when your ego leads, there are so many things that can go wrong. And, you know, we see that my husband and I have seen it in our interactions with one another. And we've learned that interactions with others tend to suffer when your ego leads. You can't accept criticism. It makes you angry instead of offering you that chance to learn. And of course, your ego has some positive positive functions and can drive you to do positive things like helping others, even though ego-driven motives are less sincere. I guess anything that helps you or drives you to help others is good. But your soul is where the meat of who you are resides. Um, 
I feel like it takes some time to diminish your ego so that you have that flourishing relationship with your soul. Mm -hmm. But when you communicate clearly with your soul, your relationship with self and others just becomes so much more healthy. You touched upon quite a few interesting points there. I love the fact that you have a partner in your life that works on this with you. I think it's always helpful to, especially when dealing with ego and a loving relationship, because you can get caught up with who said what and how it Mm -hmm. hurt you so easily Mm -hmm. helps when your partner is on the same page. You did say that ego-driven motives are less sincere. I think what listeners always want to hear is, I understand that my ego isn't the best way to go in life or isn't the best. My ego's demands of me aren't always going to be satisfactory. But how do I, I recognize my ego? You know, when is my ego in control? I thought I might talk to you about that. Like how, do you have ways that you identify your ego-driven motives? You know, I think that when you pause and think about where your opinion, where what you are saying or the way you are acting is really coming from, those are the moments when you're able to separate your ego from your soul. If you are in a conversation or you are in a moment, a tricky moment in parenting, and you're arguing your point because you want to be right, not because you feel that what you're saying is necessarily best for your child, best for your family, best for you and your partner. That's the moment that you can recognize, okay, this is driven by my ego. It's not driven by my soul. You know, even last night, my husband and I had a tough parenting moment when our son fell down and he was bleeding from somewhere. And, you know, my husband wanted me to handle it a certain way. And I wanted it to handle it my way. And, you know, we had that instant of locking eyes and realizing that it didn't matter who was right or wrong. What mattered was the fact that our son was bleeding. We had to figure out where the blood was coming from, you know, but I think in parenting, a lot of times that does happen, you know, that you really worry, you learn to recognize those moments when you're just trying to be right. You know, you're not trying to forward a cause necessarily. You're trying to be the one in the room who wins. Yeah, I'm definitely that person. I kind of feel like if my husband doesn't give in on certain issues, I should be doing the same on other issues. And then when you reflect back on those moments, you just, I feel very foolish. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, there's the soul-led action, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the truth of the matter is, is that, it takes real concerted effort to learn to listen to your soul. It's a surprising thing to hear, or maybe it's just a painful thing to say, that your soul doesn't naturally lead. Your ego naturally leads. So it takes a real intentional effort to take your ego and push it down. You know, so just very often that first blush, that gut response, that's coming from the ego. It's not coming from the soul. That's so true. An untrained ego is often the one that convinces us that mm-hmm. that is the right way forward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it takes action every day and conscious action every day to. Mm-hmm substitute what your ego wants with what your soul wants. This can feel a bit self-sacrificial. I'm quite interested in exploring that from Mm -hmm. a mom's perspective. Yeah. I mean, well, in my profession as an editor and a writer, I think it's a very ego-driven, it's a profession where egos are running rampant, you know, because I'm working on things that people are passionate about. I'm passionate about my craft. And so ever since I've learned 
to push ego aside, uh, you know, in my work with my family. I feel like my experience has been so much more rich and I've learned a lot more because I've stopped trying to convince people that I'm right. And I've just been more conscious about listening and, and understanding where people are coming from. So for me, it's just such a life enriching thing when you start to get control of that, you know? And then there's also the bit about what could possibly motivate us to make that substitution. I think it's peace of mind because when you listen less and less to your ego and more and more to your soul, you mm -hmm. find the peace in your mind and heart and body somehow just rises exponentially mm -hmm. and then you can continue that pattern. But it takes practice, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, so much practice. <laughs> so much practice. And you're not going to be great at it at first. And so you have to be okay with the fact that sometimes you are going to have that gut response and hang up the phone or walk away from a conflict and feel like, oh, I should have handled that differently. But it's important in those moments to just say, I will handle it differently next time, you know, and move on, move on from the fact that this time you didn't do it the way that you felt that you should. You know, every single thing in life is a teaching moment if you allow it to be. And the ego is the thing that gets in the way from learning of learning, you know, it just, it's I think a, you said is so important. Move on, move mm -hmm. on. Moving on is so important if you don't get it right. Now, listen, I'm really pleased to have a spiritual mama on the show. And so I want to dive into talking about motherhood with you. And I want to start with talking about, you know, the first few changes you experienced as a woman. And I would imagine these are so led to begin mm -hmm. with. What are your comments on that? You know, the second my daughter was placed on my chest, every single thing changed and it was instantaneous. I had gone from a moment of feeling self-conscious that I was legitimately at this point naked and in a room with just so many people in it. And within that second, nothing mattered anymore. Everything was reprioritized. It didn't matter that I was sweaty and naked and bleeding. What mattered was that first moment of eye contact that I was making with this being that was that I knew so well. I carried her for nine months. I knew the way she moved her feet. I knew, you know, what music she liked. And it kind of hit me at that moment that this is the only person on earth who knows what my heartbeat sounds like from the inside. And in that moment, I just felt like my soul was complete and my family unit was taking shape. And as a woman, I just felt like I could do anything and that my heart could just stretch on forever. Wow. That description is just, <laughs> it's just amazing. It's so beautiful, you know, and never thought of it that way that it is actually true. Your child knows, is the only person that knows what your heartbeat sounds like from the inside. So insightful. And was this something that you were aware of or expecting or did it just catch you off guard? I think the magnitude of the feelings, you know, the intensity of the feelings caught me off guard. And the fact that I was able to so quickly snap back to who I am, but a, a slightly different version of me within seconds. That was the thing that surprised me. You know, within within minutes, I was there like making jokes about the bucket of blood on the floor. Like I was hemorrhaging, but I'm just, you know, my personality came back and it was as though this new soul entered the room and instinctively my body 
and my mind and my soul knew how to wrap itself around this new person. And sure, change these imperceptible, like these, these tiny things about me, but still left me as me. I think before you have a child, you're kind of standing at the edge of this, this cliff and you're like, am I going to be anything like I was before? Is every single thing going to change? No, every single thing doesn't change. You are at the core who you are forever. This is just something that enhances your life. It brings this beautiful sense of responsibility to your life that doesn't feel like oppressive responsibility. It just feels like love. It's such a blessing to have that feeling because as you study more and more spiritual texts or even go through life in a conscious way, you realize that ultimately it's all just love. Mm-hmm. Beyond all the pain, there's just love. And we're all floating in this bubble of love. It's just that we're not aware of it. And I think giving birth to someone gives you a little like peek into that and what it would feel like. It brings me to my next question, which is about unconditional love, which is what most of majority of mothers say they feel about their children. And for me, this means little judgment and endless concern in a lot of cases. But It seems to me that becoming a parent is a greater opportunity to realize and do a lot more than just have a new human being around us, which is pretty big by itself. Would you agree with that at all? I completely agree with that. You know, my husband and I want nothing more for our son and daughter than to feel loved unconditionally, endlessly happy, and just to be emotionally intelligent beings. But raising children this way can be tricky because we know that we're signing ourselves up to do things the hard way. A lot of parents see a child misbehaving as a moment for pure discipline, that moment of teaching like, you do not do this. But we look at each misstep as an opportunity for our children to learn. Very often, my daughter's first response is, I'm sorry, mommy. And and I just say to her, an apology isn't always necessary. We're all learning. And it's just a chance to learn a lesson. And when we finish these conversations with a hug and an I love you and a promise to move on, we both feel, not just me, I think we both, my daughter and I, or my son and I feel like we've made progress toward fixing a problem. So in this, we're taking advantage of the opportunity to gift the world with these emotionally intelligent beings who have felt respected and heard since day one. It is so simplistic, but it's so profound to be raising a child that way rather than the punishment corner. And Oh, believe me, they get timeouts. <laughs> there are moments when they have to be removed from a situation uh, when they're beating each other up. But it's never, you know, we made a conscious choice to never be spankers. You know, we're not going to spank our kids and be like, that's what you get. You know, if you do this again, you're going to be spanked. It's not like that at all. It's more of a, a, you know, we have a mutual respect in our household. We respect them. They respect us. And it's, you know, sure, we're the parents. We have the last word. But I'm going to listen to my daughter's explanation for why she believes she deserves a lollipop or a cookie or like, I'm going to listen to it because maybe she's got a valid point. (laughs) (laughs) It is encouraging trust. I can see that. But from my own experience, my mom had me and my brother one year apart and we literally drove her insane. 
So I do remember her shoe, you know, flying across the room and a yeah. book flying mm-hmm. across the room. And when I recall the incidents that we would get ourselves into, I'm like, oh my God, the poor woman. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you survive some kids? They drive you insane. It's good to hear uh, parallelly this can exist as well. And that's the opportunity really, because you're creating a human being that you're gifting into the world. And mm-hmm. I love that way of expressing it. And I've always been really curious about labor pain. I did a bit of research about this. The human body can only bear 45 decibels, I think it is, of pain. Mm -hmm. And during labor, women go through 57. And that's like breaking 20 bones at once. I can't help but feel getting over this pain involves some otherworldly feelings that you were talking about, you know, at the start. Does that magic that happens in the delivery room possess proof for you that we are larger in spirit than we think we are? I mean, to address the pain issue. So my doula always reminded me to look at the pain of childbirth as a pain we're supposed to feel. Biologically, as women, our bodies are built for this. So we can't conceive of the pain or compare it to an injury. It's not like scraping your leg or or something like that. This is a pain that we are built to withstand. So you're never going to feel pain during labor that you cannot handle. That's just physically not possible. In my experience with my daughter's birth, I was in hard labor for more than 20 hours. And there was a point where the nurses started to talk about doing a C-section. And in that moment, I closed my eyes and I remember saying to my grandmother, to my uncle who I'd lost to all these people, like, I, and I told them, I didn't ask them. I was like, take responsibility, get me through this. And within one hour, I was at a nine and ready to push. They, they did it for me. And it's proof that we can connect with that spiritual realm and it will respond. But, you know, the other thing is I tragically lost my dad five days before I gave birth to my son. Mm -hmm. And of course, those five days were torturous because I just kept asking spirit, like, why would you take my dad now? Why would this, you know, because it was completely tragic, totally unexpected, just why at that moment? And in that delivery room, when I was handed my son and I looked him in the eyes, I was able to see my dad for one last time. My dad looked me in the eyes through my son. And I think that labor and delivery and birth and death, these are all these, you know, huge things. But in delivery, you get to live in this place that is in essence, spiritual. It's the space between life and death. And, you know, it is the epicenter of, you know, where we come from and where we're going. And it's, for me, I think that those moments were so pivotal to me when it came to my beliefs just about something else existing. You know, I never have felt comfortable labeling what that is, but those experiences and having those eyes look at me and me knowing that that was my father, I will never forget that. That will never leave me. And it's given me a way to feel thankful for the timing of my father's passing as terrible as it was, you know? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But 
you've turned it into, I don't know if you did it consciously or if that was the way spirit answered your prayer, but it feels like it was such a moment, a magical moment of connection for you. And wow, to have that is such a blessing. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, the spiritual realm does respond. And that's how when we find ourselves as human beings at the edge of life and death or facing really dire circumstances, when we have the courage and I think that's the key word, have the courage to actually believe and ask. We will be answered, you know, and mm -hmm. oh, wow, that's really beautiful. And we will be okay. You know, I think all of this, all of these questions that come up in motherhood, all of it, it's all about self-doubt, ego, worry, pain, frustration. But at the end of the day, you know, I have a friend who always says, is your child hungry? No. Is your child happy? Yes. Does your child feel loved? Yes. Then nothing else matters. You know, we're all going to be fine. And I think when you cut through all of the other crap and you cut through the worry about organic foods and like the right activities and the breastfeeding and the, you know, all those things, what matters is that we're okay. We're all going to be okay. And as moms, we're all connected. As humans, we're all connected. But the, the bond of motherhood and the things that you share with the moms around you, it's just such a beautiful, special thing that you can share with absolute strangers. And to me, that's just been one of the most beautiful side effects of motherhood, just the human beings that I've connected with solely based on the fact that we both have children. And just, you know, listening to you speak there, it feels like that is the way to date your ego, but marry your soul, being a parent rather mm -hmm. than focusing on, oh my God, I couldn't breastfeed. Oh my God, I haven't slept. Oh my God, yeah. it's so hard. Am I doing the right thing? But instead, if you literally just focus your attention on, you know, all the beautiful things you've just talked about, this experience of parenthood, I mean, it's it feels like it's a treasure trove, really. Mm -hmm. It's transformative. And I will be honest with you, I pretty much had no real friends before motherhood. I mean, I had friends, but my friendships with the women who I journeyed through pregnancy with and, you know, have entered motherhood with have gotten so strong. I mean, we are there for each other no matter what. I have had girlfriends show up at my house at 10 o'clock at night with, you know, cleaning supplies to help me clean because I've, you know, feel anxious and out of control. You know, I have people I consider my best friends who I met at parks or walking down the street and we both had strollers. You know, it is not just a time to reflect on how your life and your joy expands based on having this child or children. It's also about how it will enrich your life as a human being if you open yourself up to it. And that's key, isn't it? Open mm -hmm. yourself up to it. Mm -hmm to do that and I'm hoping that this show talking to you and you know any mothers listening out there can really connect to that because it's all about being open and just moving on uh, what I found from you know just observing parents new mothers new fathers and just I guess society there is no one size that fits all especially when it comes to family you know it isn't always a happy experience to have a baby it could be a bad experience but in the cases that it is. Does the caregiving parent, in your opinion or feeling, experience ego suspension spontaneously? Or does the quality of care then become the egoic 
identity. I don't know. I'm just wondering about that. Well, I feel like one of the things I'm most proud of when it comes to parenting is that I've learned to put my ego aside completely when it comes to dealing with my kids. So if they do something wrong or hurtful, they are responsible for apologizing to whoever they've hurt and making it right. But I hold myself to the same standard and I always apologize and make it right when I have done something I'm not proud of to one of my kids, like raising my voice or creating unrealistic expectations for them. You know, I had an experience where I left my daughter, who was two at the time, with my son, who was one. I left them in the crib together so I could take a fast shower. And I came back and she was sitting on a lounge chair watching an iPad while he was screaming. Oh and, I, and I got so frustrated with her. I put her in timeout. And then a, a few minutes later, I was sitting there thinking like, I'm such, who am I, who, what do I, am I thinking? I left a two-year-old in charge of a one-year-old and now I'm punishing her because she did a bad job. Like, of course she's going to do a bad job. She's two. So I went in and I sat with her and I said, listen, I made a mistake. I should not have expected that of you. And I just said to her, like, you know, I talked to her like she was a human. I was like, I'm tired. I made a bad call and I'm sorry. And we hugged and the joy that came across her face when she realized that like she wasn't in trouble and didn't have to figure out what got her into trouble was, you know, affirmation that that's just really a good way to go. But not only that, but it's also learning to be okay with asking for help or advice from friends and family. You know, sometimes your hackles go up when you're mom or your sister or your mother-in-law or somebody or a friend says like, Hey, have you tried this? And you just like want to scream, shut up. I know how to raise my kid and just like run away and like punch a wall. But you learn if you can train yourself to suppress that voice that shuts those things out and listen intently to those you trust, you really can learn things that do better you as a parent. And it sounds like you're just adding to, you know, that gem that you gave us that it is an opportunity to produce these beautiful human beings, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow as mm -hmm. human beings. And so you're kind of putting forward this whole family of beautiful human beings for the world to enjoy. I really hope so. If I have this wrong, we're in big trouble because we're in deep. <laughs> Well, you know what? If, even if you have it wrong, which you don't, but even if you have it wrong, you'll still be fine. Everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. Figure mm -hmm. it out. Now, enough, enough with the love stuff. What happens when you need to get back to work? You're working from home. You have bills to pay. You're sleep deprived. You're exhausted. I mean, an untrained ego would really suffer in that situation, wouldn't it? An untrained ego would have you on the floor crying because exhausted people make mistakes. They struggle to hit goals. They're generally not the nicest people ever. And I've talked to you about this before that per for me, my creativity really suffers when I'm tired. And so you have to kind of find ways to remind yourself that this is not you. This has no bearing on your ability to perform normally. You know, this is about you being exhausted. So I find just, I mean, taking five minutes for myself can change the course of an entire day. And that, you know, has to do with just being okay with giving the kid an iPad. If your child is going to, it cries for 10 minutes and you turn off the monitor and let the baby cry, it's okay. You know, lay on the floor, light a candle, 
you know, find that mantra that works for you and just spend some time in it, getting back to the here and now, getting yourself back to a place of gratitude that can only benefit your family. I mean, I'm four years in and I'm still working on it. Um, you know, but it's important to know that you won't be able to get everything done that you feel you should because you have a human being who is dependent on you. Your to-do list is important, but the health and happiness of your kid is your ego really needs to feed off of. Or, you know, yes, suppress the ego. The fact of the matter is nothing is going to feed your soul more than a happy, healthy, well-loved child. So who cares about the dishes? Who cares about all that stuff? If you want to handle it when your kids go to bed, go ahead. But what is important is just how they go to bed feeling. It's all about perspective. And it's all about working to train your ego before you get into the thick of parenting. You can even begin working on that when you're pregnant, but realize that that work needs to continue as you're in the newborn stage. And as you get further into it, the training never stops. It sounds like flexibility is quite mm -hmm. important that every day is different. And if today mm -hmm. the house is going to be a tip, it's going to be a tip and it's okay. Mm -hmm. As long mm -hmm. as I'm happy and my baby's happy and we're mm -hmm. healthy, we're safe. Well, but I think also that that goes back to the untrained ego because the trained ego allows you to ask for help in those situations. So if you really are bothered to the point of having anxiety over the fact that your house is a mess, call your friend, get a cleaning lady for one day. Those things, the ego is something that stops you from asking for help when you really need it. So that's part of that egoic training is to allow yourself to welcome and accept help that's being offered, but also to just put it out there when you do need help. It's a sign of strength, really, asking for help or asking for guidance and allowing yourself space. Do you think there's a way to hold on to that strength, you know, that gets women through that very important fourth trimester, uh, you know, without self and partner bashing? Absolutely. Strength is recognizing that life is not perfect. You and your partner are always learning. You're going to be exhausted. You'll be overwhelmed. Your senses are overstimulated. And as you experience that together, you have to consciously decide whether you're on the same team or not. There's no right way to parent. There's no right way to parent with your partner, but you fall into this natural rhythm. It, it takes real constant communication and a commitment to put that ego aside and to learn from one another and to learn from every incident that occurs. And you have to be willing to recognize that together you'll have to figure out how to course correct until you're both traveling in the same direction. It's a lot, but it can be done, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's just awareness, isn't it? And that's what I'm hoping these conversations can inspire in people. I, I do have to admit, though, that I'm going through my first pregnancy and on my low days, because I'm busy or tired, I just feel the need to complain and mm -hmm. say to my my beautiful husband that, oh my God, it's so easy. You don't need to carry this baby. Nothing's stretching inside you. But, you know, I try not hate myself for it. Mm -hmm. I don't like the fact that it comes up. 
But it's quite natural for women to have these extra emotions that are going to result because they're going through so much in their bodies. Absolutely. And it's totally natural to feel that way. And I hate to say it, but it gets a little bit worse before it gets better because your, you know, your body changes completely. And then you have this baby and your body's totally different and your clothes don't fit the same way. And you've got to find a whole new way to dress yourself, but it's only for a small period of time. And then, you know, there are just so many, it becomes like this giant puzzle. But the truth is those negative thoughts that come up while we're pregnant, especially they stick to us and they create a negative environment for these growing babies Mm -hmm. to live in. And that's because frustration internalized is toxic. So for me, instead of yelling at my husband, I've, I've found that journaling helps just writing down every single frustration and being open and honest in, on this piece of paper about what is hissing me off and then just leaving it there. Because my goal is to get it out of me so that my baby can exist in an environment that is filled with positivity and light and love. But I will say it does seem unfair that our bodies have to do all these things. We have to push the baby out of our bodies. And all these guys have to do is put together a crib and a pram and like hold our hand and watch us cry. Like it just seems like literally just very unfair. I know. And and it's just unfair when they don't listen to you or they think you're being dramatic or that, oh my God, women have been doing this for centuries. Why are you, you know, acting up and stuff like that? But yes, that is a very important point about the toxicity that we create when we are so frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why what you said earlier about quick fixes, you know, about chanting or Mm -hmm. oils or taking baths or just doing Mm -hmm. Thing that you really want to do, eating that thing you really want to eat, just giving yourself a break mm-hmm. so that, that frustration just leaves you and your body so that you and your baby can be happy. Sometimes it's just 10 minutes and some chocolate and just like, yeah. or just say to your husband, like, go outside for five minutes because I can't look at you because you're not a pregnant woman. <laughs> just <Yeah. leave. laughs> I don't need you to leave me. I don't, I just, I just want you to go outside. <laughs> 10 minutes and some chocolate, you know, that's right. excellent title for a poem. So I do feel like from everything you're saying that our children do bring, can bring us closer as couples, you know, whatever format we choose to raise them in these days. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. I, but I do think that it depends on the couple and it depends on your level and your, your level of communication and your ability to pull closer and to hold one another during these big changes instead of fighting one another and judging one another and pushing one another away because one's doing something wrong and the other, you know, I think the key is to journey through it together get rid of blame, get rid of the notion that one is carrying more of a burden than the other. If you feel that way, fix it. If you feel like somebody is is carrying more of, of the weight than, than the other, you know, then have the conversation and smooth that over. Of course, I would love to have say that the blanket answer is a resounding yes, that children bring couples closer. But you have to recognize and you can't deny that that addition of a family member can create tension. And that teamwork is so 
vital. And sensitivity to one another's needs is extremely important, but it's not just our needs as moms. It's dad's need as needs as dads. You know, I know a lot of um, parenting books suggest that the dads get up with the breastfeeding mom in the middle of the night so that they can, you know, they're tag they're on the same team. But the reality is then your husband's tired and you're tired. So no one gets to take a nap and everyone's tired and angry. So, you know, little things like that, but also ahead of the game, talking thoroughly through your thoughts on discipline, rules, spiritual beliefs, and being able to either agree or compromise can make the difference between coming closer or being driven apart. But then also as parents, we have to work harder at things surrounding sex. I mean, a real effort has to be made to find time to keep it passionate and exciting, to be okay with the fact that it might take you a little time beyond the six weeks that they recommend that you don't have sex after you give birth you know, to be ready to do that. But communication is the thing that overrides everything so that your partner understands it's not you, it's me to be cliche, but it's not you. It's that I just had like 10 hands and my body and like these, like, you know, I don't want you to touch me, you know? And so I think I've found that my husband and I have gotten closer in having those conversations. And in a weird way, it almost feels like having like a sleepover with your best friend where you're talking about these super intimate things, but it takes practice. It takes, again, putting your ego aside and it takes a suspension of the notion of embarrassment, that anything is embarrassing. You know, once you've been through something like this with your husband and he's seen the things that he's seen in that delivery room, like you can get rid of any feeling of being embarrassed in front of that person. You know, you can just take it as an opportunity to dig deep, overcome challenges together and to just conquer it all. You know, in England, they say watching your wife give birth is like watching your favorite pub burn down. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) That is the worst thing I've ever heard. I know. And we were visiting these friends this last weekend gone past and the guy was like, I actually watched my favorite pub not only burn down but tear and I was like oh my god not talk about that no shame on you England you are canceled England we're done (laughs) (laughs) that is horrible I know but but it's part of it and it's about having a good attitude about it right yes one really important thing before we close and this is quite an intimate question but I think a lot of people need to be aware that becoming a parent can give you quite an opportunity to understand your own parents. I know we've talked about it a bit. I just want you to tell me, yes, everything makes sense. We get it. Everything's cool. And, you know, we are able to forgive and forget and move on and love more. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I will tell you, I call my mom once a week to apologize for things I did or did not do when I was a kid. Pretty much everything she repeatedly asked me to do has, it's make, make all make sense now. And I feel badly, you know, that I didn't appreciate how tough it must have been for her to ask for help at times and that I only responded with like an eye roll and just, you know, mom, oh, you're so annoying. You know, that, that stuff makes me feel bad because I'm like, she wasn't just nagging me. She really did need help. You know, not only that, but the tough stuff that you encountered as a family in your childhood suddenly looks different. You know, it no longer, for me, I mean, you know, I had 
in a lot of ways, a great childhood, but I also experienced some trauma as a child. And in that, I've been able to look at those tough things differently. You know, I think for a long time, I uh, looked at the tough things I, I went through and thought of myself as a victim. But in having my own children, that victim mentality dissipated. And I began to see it um, as an opportunity to use those things to shape my own parenting style. And in this way, you'll likely avoid presenting your own children with the same challenges you encountered as a child. And whether those encounters um, are as small as being spanked and hating it and, and feeling fearful of a parent or, you know, being emotionally abused or having your intelligence diminished. You, you suddenly look at all those things and you think, well, this is my great opportunity to correct those wrongs. You know, I now can use this as fuel to raise a child who will never know what that feels like. And that gives them a greater opportunity of being wonderful parents themselves when the time comes. That is so great. I can't wait. And again, it just brings me back to thinking that it's again about awareness and knowing mm -hmm. that this opportunity is coming your way. And that is what this is about. Now, just to move away from ego, soul, parenting, blah, blah, blah. What do you do to take care of Allie? Oh my goodness. I just, <laughs> well, um, no, I'm a, I'm a runner. And so I, running is the thing that keeps my anxiety at bay. It's the thing that allows me to keep, uh, focused chemically. It's just really, really good for me. Um, so I try to make 30 to 60 minutes a day, five days a week to run. I listen to a murder podcast. Uh, I don't know what that's doing to my psyche, but that's what I do. I, typically let the kids watch a TV show before bed so I can use that time to clean the kitchen and do those little things that I that uh, reset the home. And so it makes me feel good in the morning that I don't have a ton to do. But, you know, that means that once they get into bed, I have time to clean. I have time to watch reality TV, read, have a glass of wine, a cup of tea, and just kind of recalibrate. You know, I think it's a really buzzy phrase to be like self, you know, the self-care thing is just so important. And I believe that, but I think self-care looks different for everyone, you know? So just because running and exercising helps me doesn't mean that like cheese isn't going to help someone else. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's about creating the time, right? Totally, totally. Now, before we go, I really want our audience to be able to reach you, you know, if they need a kick-ass editor. So could you leave us with some contact details? Sure. So I can be found at AllieAndersonEditorial.com. Um, that's A-L-E-E, -E, Anderson with an O-N, editorial.com. And I've been focusing lately on both editing and writing. I ghostwrite. I write blogs. I um, evaluate content. I help with content planning. Basically, if there's, if it's anything to do with putting pen to paper, that's my jam. And apparently talking about motherhood. If you want to talk <laughs> to me about motherhood, you just like, just email me. We'll be best friends. We'll talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm not a licensed therapist. So let's put that out there. I'm not like technically qualified, but we'll probably be best friends. So 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. That was so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And so much love to you. I just so appreciate every single thing you do, Serafina. And I, you know I love you. Me too. Thank you. Wasn't that refreshing? I think it was. For me personally, making time and space to love yourself, especially when you are fully in love with your new baby or child, is an act of great courage and maturity. And as Ali said, sometimes 10 minutes and some chocolate is all that's needed. My key takeaway was, strength is recognizing that life as a new parent is not perfect. There is a no right way to parent. It is a commitment to putting aside your ego and recognizing you are one team and that you will course correct if needed and that you will do it together. I hope this helped you. And if you know of any new parents, pass it on to them. This is your host, Serafina, signing off with a little more love for life. Oh.